0: Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing.
1: And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Okay. I mean, do you ever make it out to Frank Spears' office, Pete? I've
0: been a big proponent of the online. You know, he's got the big online component now, but I've never done that. I Actually, paid for it and wasn't able to do the the entire series. But man, he's he's the best. He's I mean, he's he's like it's hands down. I going back to what you said earlier in the investment aspect of of yourself. Like to me, that would be my first recommendation is to start there. Me personally,
1: yeah, because he's got. You know what's cool about him. And like I went out to his office, and John Coy's office, and I live in Philadelphia, 22 times. So you do the math. It was 5000 a pop every time I went there, probably more actually, by the time I got done paying for all the expenses. And you know he has, like, he's got these courses strictly on occlusion, strictly how to treat the parafunctional wear patient. Uh, he has courses on materials, like, how do, how do you know? I mean, when you practice alone, how do you really know what to use when? I mean, these are things that are really, really worthy. So anyway, so then I will say this, and this is the key. This is why you're listening to this tape right now, because after this I'm going to be done because I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to say. I want to tell you there's two things probably different that you're going to like about where you're sitting right now. So I'll literally say to the patient, so let me tell you a little bit about our, ourselves, and I'm sure you're going to like what I'm about to tell you. There's two things that make me different. One thing is I'm not corporate, and people like that, Pete. I know nobody's using I that am. rap, <laughs> but it happens to be yeah, good. Cool. So I'll say, what does that mean? And all I got to say is, well, dentistry's changed in the last 10 years, and a lot of corporations find dentistry to be a good investment and they buy us up what i often say is you know it's like pharmacies 20 years ago when you guys were little there was 10 pharmacies in your town and now there's cvs and rite aid or whatever and the difference is we don't put a cvs sign on our roof so you don't even know that the dentist you're going to could be corporate or not and why does that even matter that's how i talk it's a good way to talk to people like i ask rhetorical questions so why does that matter Well, it matters because when I go to do a crown on you, if that's what you need, I'm going to send it to whoever I want to send it to, and nobody can control me. Whereas they may send it to the guy that's making $4 a week in Mexico or China, because in corporations, the bottom line is profitability, and that's not the bottom line in this office. And I have yet to meet one person that doesn't get that. I don't spend a lot of time on that, but that's what I say. I said, the second thing is, is that I've invested a lifetime in my education, Meaning, I've gone all over the country, found the best dentist in the world. I always say, if I was a singer, I found Sinatra, I found Streisand, I found Tony Bennett, and they taught me how to sing. And people get that. And I'll say, and then this is where it becomes really, really relevant. I'll say, I learned a lot of cool things. I learned how to put people to sleep. And for me, it's a joy to say that because I can literally point across the hallway and say, see that room right there? It's dark, right? You know why it's dark? Because that patient's sleeping. Can you hear them? And I may know already that that patient's there for that reason. By the way, not 100% of people come to me for that reason, but a lot do. Then I'll say, and I learned how to take teeth out without jacking people up, and I learned the most amazing, and I'll say these things really quick, the most amazing innovation in dentistry in my lifetime, something called implants. So I'm kind of laying all the seeds out there. But then I say this, but what I learned the most, concept called what to do when I said what that means is and I literally say this to the patient I'll say what that means to you Stephen, is how do you know if you're as a dentist that you're given the right advice to a new patient like you when he comes in for something how do you know you're not giving them wrong advice how do you know you're not being overzealous or neglectful and I can tell you what I've learned I always look at five things So I just told them, I'm going to give you a comprehensive exam. And the five things are, number one, and this alone will probably double uh, your soft tissue productivity in your office, your hygiene productivity. I say, number one, first and foremost, I'm going to look at the health of your gums and bone. Do you know why I say that to the patient? Because it's the number one thing that's going to take your teeth away. And it doesn't hurt, by the way. So nobody... There nobody comes in here and asks me to look at their gums and bone, but it's really important to me because such a huge majority of Americans have lost their teeth by the age of sixty because of gum disease, and I'm not going to let that happen to you if I have a chance. I said number two, I'm going now. By the way, I may already know they have gum disease because their X-rays are right next to me, but I'm really not getting into it. Or they may know they have it because maybe they're there because a tooth fell out. Then I'll say. Then I'm going to look at every one of your teeth, not just the one that you know about. And the reason I'm doing that is because if I fix your tooth early, if it only needs a filling and it doesn't need a root canal, I'm going to save you a fortune. And I know that's what you want. And that's what I want, by the way. If you talk that earnestly to people with that kind of tone in your voice and you really believe that, they're going to feel that you believe that. And it is what you should believe. So then I say, number three, I'm going to look at your bite and see if that's got anything to do with anything that's going on with you. Now, let's say that the patient came to you, which all of us get once a year, because they had a crown done somewhere else that pops off three times already. And we all know that that's one of two things, or probably both. It's either a lack of biologic structure, called a feral, or in combination, they have parafunction, which has been overlooked. So that's, you know, I throw that in there. And, you know, how far I expand on it depends on what I know about that patient at that point. Four, I'll say, and this is important to say it this way, I'm going to look at your missing teeth. And together, we'll decide if that's got any role with making you better, you're healthier or not. Because I don't want them to think even for a second that I'm going to go after replacing number three that's been missing for 25 years. That's the only tooth they're missing. You know, and, some, and I'm perfectly good with patients that can't afford, I'd rather, personally, this is my own observation, I'd rather a patient have premolar occlusion than have to wear a lower partial. Agreed. I would agree with that. Because they won't wear it anyway. So, you know, I don't want them to think I'm going to shove stuff down their throat, and I'm not. And that's how I ended. I it. And the last thing, I'm going to look at a thing that dentists call aesthetics, which means how you look. And that's always an up to you thing. You know, you're the most important person that determines how you look in the mirror, how you look to other people. And you know, if that's what you want, I'm your man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I got pictures here to blow your mind. You know, I would love to, but we're going to go in the order that I told you about. Now again, I might already know that that's exactly why they're there, that they don't like their smile but that's the order I go in. And then what I do is I begin that exam. I would tell you 90% of the time, I know the treatment plan day one. And I know that wouldn't fly in the face of a lot of guys, maybe Dawson and people like that. My observation is two things. When you've been in dentistry for over 10 years, you can make treatment plan decisions pretty damn quick, pretty damn accurate, and not feel guilty about it either. I think a lot of your legends Dawson's and Spears and Coys and you know all those there they do the same thing but they can't teach you that because you got to start with fundamentals you know so the first thing i know is and number two people don't want not the people in my community you start giving them two and three consultations send them to the periodontist and the endodontist of this you're opening up a recipe to never treat that patient you know and i know that's that listen i'm getting ready to write a major article again for dentistry today about working with a specialist when I think that's important and appropriate. So I'm not anti-specialist. I'm just a strong advocate of what you and I would call Pete, the super generalist. You know, the guy today that's put a good 10 years into himself and knows how to do implant dentistry, surgery, or some other skill at a very high level.
0: Love it. I love it. And that's, you know, I think that having the five, the, those five things, like I said, it gives you something to kind of be very strategic with. And I agree with you that I think the takeaway would be if you can just implement this in your practice if you're not doing something like this and establish your own, you know, whatever protocol you have that works for you and your verbiage, but memorize that script. Like there's nothing, you know, I have scripts that I look at, you know, I've been doing this a long time as well. And I still look at my verbiage and see, because it's all about presentation, you know?
1: And trust me, man, there's times I look at a patient I'll give you a good example. I'm going to close with this. I had a patient the other day. So he has a full upper denture I made a year ago and a lower partial. I mean, we're talking basic freaking dentistry, right? And my hygienist comes to me and asks me if I wanted to. It was like a Thursday afternoon. He's on a four month recall. And she, you know, he wasn't the brightest tack in the box, this patient. I mean, I'm not being mean. I really think he, he had an accident sometime in life, but he functions, he can drive. This is something not exactly there. And I was going to blow it off. And she said, you know, his upper denture is loose. I said, I know it's loose. He's got a horrible ridge. And she said, you know, he's talking to me about selling uh, his $50,000 Camaro. Just he's into collecting cars. Like, I didn't have any idea. He would never dream that this guy would collect cars. So I went in. I'm not kidding. I went in. It wasn't a great week that week. It was like four weeks ago. And it was an $18,000 paid that day, by the way. I mean, he had to go home and he came back to get a discount overdenture case of implants, palletless, you know, zest uh, retained, six implants overdenture. My point is, you can't look at somebody and say, I don't think they're worthy of t- going through this because you just, every, and I know you've heard this before, but there's just no way to look at somebody and know where it's going to go. You know, and whenever, I'll tell you something else I always tell my staff on slumps that we get into, I say, look, you can't go out on the street and wave me in new patients. Just be good doctors today. Be right by people. Treat them with respect. Really do diligence to your exam, hygienist. If they have a history of scaling and root planning, don't go in and do a cursory exam and, and just ignore the fact that they're not where they should be. Look at them as if this was the first day you met them and do diligence to that. And I have a whole protocol, Pete, uh, we can do another time on how to revamp your soft tissue program just by looking and keeping track in a daily schedule of people that have over two-year history of scaling and root planing. Because a lot of offices are scared to bring that back up. I understand it. It's not a pleasant procedure. But, you know, that's what you're paid to do. So, you know, we are pretty consistent with the new patient exams and how we go about doing it. And, look, I get plenty of turndowns. But um, I'm gonna tell you, you know, we're gonna. I know it's not just about money, but we're gonna break five million this year on a four-day work
0: week. So, well, wow, uh, that's impressive, man. Especially, and you know, and and you talk. I've heard you talk that you've you know you've kind of had an upscale You've almost without fail grown twenty eight years in a row. And that man, that gives me anxiety just kind of hearing that, like the the pressure of like year twenty nine and year thirty. Holy cow!
1: <laughs> yeah, twenty nine consecutive years I had. Literally, I never had an off year. Now I ended up having three off years, but for 29, and I've had three in a row. I went up. I mean, I might have only gone up 100,000 or 50,000, but I went up. That's
0: incredible. Like honestly, I can't, I can't even get come near to claiming that. So a lot of your continued growth has kind of been predicated on either your dynamic advertising. Obviously, you've changed with the times, either internally or externally advertising. So what, what are you doing? At- with your advertising strategy? And I know you kind of alluded to some of that with the sedation and the stuff that you have, the
1: chops to... No, no, no. I'm going to tell you exactly what it's been. And the first thing I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a couple of absolute cornerstones of advertising and dentistry. Number one, no one person can tell you what's effective for everybody. Because trust me, it is different if you're in Alaska, California, or Florida. For example, I was in New York. I can't advertise in the New York Times or the New York Post, but in, in Southern New Jersey, I can take out a quarter page ad and advertise in the Violin Times journal because it's cost effective, you know? I had a guy convince me to do a $50,000 television commercial with a guy out of Denver, Colorado. And I'm not, I don't even know if the guy's in business anymore. And then I'm going back at least 12 years. And I, not saying, it was amazing commercial. I mean, multi-camera shots, really high end. I mean, it could have been on right after uh, Monday night football and you wouldn't have thought it was cheesy. You you know, some commercials you can tell are made with a dime and a a string. I mean, this was high quality and he raved about what it did for him. Now, this guy was from Alabama and uh, with the company he uses in Denver, I used them and I didn't get one patient. Then I did a $20,000 radio ad with ESPN in Philadelphia. Now I, you know, I, Listen, man, I've done everything. So I thought it out. It wasn't like I just woke up one day. I thought, hey, guy station. I know a lot of guys don't like to admit it, but you're scared of the dentist. I mean, I thought I had this crap figured out. I put together a really cool ad, got one patient out of it. It cost me over $20,000. You know, I advertised in Philadelphia Magazine for 12000 oh, bucks. all way bigger than I usually do. Total failure. So the biggest thing I've done is I discovered about five years ago, I said to myself, what's the best patient we all get? What's the answer? Word of mouth. So how do I get the word of mouth patients? So then I started offering, and I I know some of you are going to think, this ain't no big deal. Trust me, it is a big deal. I started offering a $25 visa to any patient, and I had literally a postcard made. And if you write to me, I'll send you it. I mean, I had it made up. I paid to have it made up. I'll also send you the posters that, that were created because of that campaign. See, when I first did it, I didn't know it would be that successful. Like, I didn't know. Do you have to give a patient 100 bucks? Do you have to give a patient 10 bucks? I mean, what works? Now, I know there's management gurus out there advertising or promoting giving $50 for every recall patient. I think that's way too much money, and I don't think you should do it with recall. But when you, for a patient that exists that recommends another patient to you that actually comes in, they're getting a $25 Visa card. And I'm telling you, I've done it like for four or five years. It was so effective that I said, well, how can I let people know about this even more? So Then I made these posters, which I'll send to you too, Pete, if you ask me for them. You can take them to your printer because they don't... Just take my name off, some of them don't even have my name, and there's different things we have like four different families on the posters. you know we have ethnic families, we have American families, whatever, and it says, "Send somebody you love to somebody you trust, and that's all that it. it's a very simple ad. you don't have to work to make it work you know that's not to be complicated to make it work and then on the bottom somewhere it talks about getting a twenty five hour visa, and I will tell you that I give out. I don't know, about 1500 to 2000 a month in uh, Visa cards, and it's by far the best programmer. It's, it's in all my marketing, by the but way. But
0: that's in your advertising budget, so to speak, right? I mean that is your advertising. Right. So have you gotten away from –
1: And it's all geared towards
0: – Okay. So you're, you're, and, and honestly, that's been more of my focus too. I mean, sure, there's some external components, but, but just like you said, I mean, the biggest value, the bang for the buck, the best kind of patient is the referral of the person that you already like, right? I mean, so, yeah, yeah. One thing I do want to kind of touch back on, and I want to recommend your protocol book a lot. Y'all, everyone, Steve has a protocol book that really, really helps your team with the verbiage. And my team has used it on several occasions. We've taken it and modified it to fit for us. But it gives a nice backbone, and I think it's a great... Steve, I think that book is invaluable. Uh, I think it should be standard issue. Yeah,
1: well, you know, that the book was born by this, which your audience should know. So after 20 years of practice... I don't know what happened. I don't know. You know, you're going to look back at your career, all you guys, and you're going to wonder how you did this or that. Well, after 20 years, I got tired of not knowing what we did when. You know, the the out-of-town hygiene patient's late, 20 minutes, or the out-of-town hygiene patient shows up and a crown's loose, and you didn't know the crown was loose, and they just traveled an hour and a half to get to you. How do you start your day? How do you finish your day? How do you handle this, this, or that? And I wrote it down for a year and a half. And trust me, that's not an easy thing to do. I literally wrote down every time something happened. Then I figured out what I thought would be the answer. I typed it. And it was never meant to be a book. It was just meant to be to make my practice run better. And by the way, when they buy it now, Pete, and I could get this to you too, uh, we give you a Word document of the same thing so you can just make your own. You have my hundred plus protocols, and then you can just add in yours or change it to edit to be yours. Giving that to the front desk
0: team, even what I noticed too, I mean, yes, not all of its front desk, some of protocols, but you talked about your touch points of your patients, how, you know, they're kind of groomed as they come in and, and the first touch is, is the phones. And as I look at practices, what I see, one of the lowest hanging fruit is the verbiage on the telephone you know, most offices almost like talk you out of coming almost. It's bizarre. So this empowers this book, I think empowers your front team to know what to say when, and it removes one of those barriers that our phones, everyone, you know, every doc thinks their phones are being answered well, but I implore you to really look into that because they're not. I mean, I thought mine were on point and I've gone into a deep dive into them recently and man, what upside we had to do that. So Anyway, I, I, I really – I've gotten –
1: So you'll give them my information. You'll give them realizing yep, the drink. I'll put all that.
0: We'll put all that in the show notes. And, yeah, man, we'll, and you're a busy man, and I don't want to keep you forever. You've given so much value in uh, pearls here. Um, I've been writing stuff down as we've been talking just because I've picked up stuff as much as I did 10 years ago when I was sitting in the audience listening to you. And it's you really have had a big impact in my career, whether you know it or not, because of just listening to you from the sidelines. Oh,
1: That means the world to me. I appreciate it. Well, listen, every athlete in the world – Every successful person in the world has mentors. And, and as people that they network with. And that's what you do when you do a podcast. And that's what you do when you go to take a course. You're really just networking. And, you know, why reinvent the wheel yourself when somebody else may save you years or, or lots of money, too, by the way, if you do it their way. So that's what this is all about. And I appreciate the opportunity to contribute.
0: I got one last question I want to ask you. What advice would you give to young Dr. Steve Rasner graduating in 2017? I know it's probably some of the stuff you've already said, but like in a quick. Kind of, if you had 30 seconds with Steve graduating now, what would you say?
1: Well, number one, don't beat yourself up wherever you have to work because it's much harder for you than it was for us. So, you know, it it doesn't make you a bad dentist. I mean, if you could do a GPR, I do a GPR. I'm not kidding. Number one, you just don't know enough. Nobody does getting out. Work as many places as you can. If you can work two or three places, you know, with different environments. I mean, if it's one's corporate, fine. If you get a private job, but a really good dentist, even if you're not making as much as you should, do that. Create your first year or two as your own residency and observe, and as soon as you can, start taking some courses. And take courses that'll have an impact on you. I mean, I'm telling you right now, the one I would take first. I mean, this is going to shock you and, and some guys that are occlusion, uh, cult guys are not going to like this, I wouldn't even start with like occlusion right away. I would start with sedation, surgery, and uh, even implants as early as I can, because I can tell you one thing I know, and it's already gotten past me a little bit, the future of dentistry, a lot of it is guided surgeries which I was not trained that way, and all you know that's that's where it's going with scanning things and trading restoration. Yeah, digital really,
0: dentistry for sure, you know,
1: is really where everything's going. So the, the three things are: don't beat yourself up; it's not your fault. Things are different. Try to get a couple different jobs. Don't I don't care if you have the stinkiest job in the world. Everybody, I worked for three guys and had two practices my first two years. You know, one of the practices didn't work. You know, I would literally sleep in that office, uh, Pete, on Thursday nights. I'm not kidding you. I'd work in my office on Thursdays, drive to the shore, work in this uh pediatric office and he he subbed it out to me at night and I slept there. <laughs> Because on Friday, I work somewhere else.
0: That's awesome. I mean, the hustle is real, you know? I mean, and and obviously, it's worked out well for you because you've kept that that mentality of hustling all the way through your career. And I think that's a big component of your success, too. I mean, yes, you're committed to learning, but you hustle.
1: Yeah, and you have to because, listen to me, man, this goes to everybody listening. Nobody's out there coming to save you. What do I mean? Not a lottery ticket. I don't care if your parents are billionaires. Make it yourself. Go out there, work hard, find mentors, invest in your... I always wanted to be the Michael Jordan of dentistry. It doesn't matter that I'm not... It just matters that I try to be as good as I can be because all great athletes find another athlete to aspire after. And I, I just have... A lot of respect for that kind of mentality. Just like you know, you're doing. You know, I'm here. I'm a guy that you can reach out to, and I'm sure Pete can put us together if you yeah, needs more And you are so. super
0: approachable. I've I've pinged you over the years, and you've been very quick on the response. So, all right, if, would you be willing to do the speed round questions I give to everyone at the end? All right, fa- favorite book that you could recommend. Best principles by jack uh, canfield all right you're a productivity tool app or software that you use every day to enhance your your day-to-day some people have just said cell phone <laughs> <laughs>
1: so cell
0: uh, all right and then lastly where do you see the future of dentistry is it going to stay a cottage industry or or is corporate takeover or is there going to be a pendulum swift so where do you see dentistry going
1: no it's absolutely in the next 20 years going to stay just exactly like it is now or worse towards corporate care. And there's always going to be vestiges of people like yourself and me. And let me tell you something, the market to be that has never been better than it is right now. And let me tell you why. Steve Razor never BSs; I always tell the truth. And it's nice to get on a, a podcast and say positive things, but it's not nice if they're not true. The reason that's true is because most of my colleagues and your colleagues caving in. In other words, what I see in a lot of young dentists, and Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm out there more than most other dentists, and I'm certainly not in touch with everybody, but a lot of young dentists don't want to pay the dues, and they want to get paid, so they're opening up multiple offices themselves as soon as they can. And in my day and age, you became a great dentist first, and that's where your success and your incomes came from. And maybe I'm old school, maybe that's not the right way to think, but I know there's always a market there's always going to be a market for a guy that's a special dentist. But you know what? One of the first articles I ever wrote that gained a lot of attention, Pete, was called Be a Plastic Surgeon. I wrote it 20 years ago. And what I meant is that the physicians were crumbling as they did. When I grew up in the 80s and 70s, physicians made $500,000 a year or more. And now they make, you know, one third of that and it's because insurance has changed. But the only guys that weren't affected were the plastic surgeons or the guys that were really a clear cut above their colleagues when it came to care. And I just think that road is a harder road to achieve for dentists. So there's fewer dentists, hence more opportunity for those fewer dentists to stand out from the crowd. If I had to do it over, I would become a super generalist again. I there's no other road I would take. I'm smiling uh, to hear you say
0: that. I'm like like there's a big grin on my face because I totally agree with you. I love the super generalist. I think it's a great a great value that you've done and during your career, Steve. I'm gonna let you go, man. It's honestly I say this at the bottom of my heart. It's been a real honor to spend some time with you. And thanks thanks so much for your time.
1: Uh, Thanks for inviting me and uh, hello to everybody out there. Hope to see you. Thanks a lot.
0: All right, take care.